Good morning. There's been some cool stuff going on at Valley, out of Valley View, and uh, that's going to continue coming next Sunday. Remember, don't come here in the evening time because at 6 o'clock we'll be at the Fowler Center at ASU, which is a cool thing. I know that like the Hoxie Church and, uh, and the Bono Church and Grace Point, some others, they're, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to encourage all their members to go out to the Fowler Center and all together sing. We've got some great song leaders from different places coming in, you know, and, and it's going to be fun. And here's the best part of it all, okay? There will be no sermon. So there'll be no complaining about the sermons too long or blah, 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 blah. We're just going to sing on the campus at ASU, and it's going to be wonderful. Do not miss that. I know that means for some of you driving across Jonesboro, and I get that, but this is just once a year. You can do this, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And then a couple weeks after that, we've got uh, David Shannon from Freed Hardeman uh, coming over here. He's going to speak on, on like a Friends Day on August 12th, and then that night, back to school bash, I hope we have a bunch of kids from all around us who come in here and fill this building, have some great singing, and then David Shannon's going to do a great lesson. As Michael likes to say, his, his favorite speaker, and so, you know, he's got to be good if it's Michael's favorite. So anyway, uh, be here for that. So let's sing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Matthew chapter 7. We'll be at verse 7 in a moment. Very well read just now. We're at this part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has been tough. He's about to get to the invitation. Everybody starts hearing the invitation language and starts grabbing their songbooks. You remember when we used to do that? When we used to use songbooks? Anybody remember those days? And that preacher would suddenly hear him sliding out of that shelf because everybody thought it was coming. And don't you know in conclusion means I'm half over? Don't you know that? Come on, he's still got a long way to go. But as he's about to get there, he's looking around and he's seeing a look on people's faces. He's just said, guys, we've got to get the lust out of our hearts. We've got to get the anger out of our mouths and out of our hearts. We've got we to quit judging people. We've got to quit being worrisome all the time. We've got to trust God instead. And all these tough teachings he's presenting. And suddenly he looks around and he sees a particular look on the faces of his readers. It looks like this. Yeah, you know this look? It's a slang term we call, yeah, right. It means that's ludicrous. It means there ain't no way I'm going to do that. That is so absolutely astronomically impossible that I'm not even going to consider trying. That's the look. It's the look, well, you go to Carlton, Dr. Carlton. He says, I think you need to be on a diet. And he gives you these three, there's four pages of description of a diet he wants you to try. And you start acting like you're reading it. You feign interest in it. You act like you're reading the words on the page, but inside you're busting a gut. Ha <laughs> ha, yeah, right! You know this feeling? Or maybe you're watching that YouTube video, even you can change the wiring on the ceiling fan of your living room. Even you. And when you're 45 minutes into the video, you're on step number 1,354, and you've got 10 minutes left, you go, yeah, right! And you call the electrician. You ever done this? Anybody ever done this? Am I, am I the only one who does this? Or Terry Smith comes up and says, will you teach an adult class? <laughs> yeah, right. He takes it as a yes, and he writes it down, and he assigns you one in the fall. 
Yeah, right. It's crazy to think this. And Jesus is preaching this sermon, and we do the same thing. We're, we're hearing the Sermon on the Mount, and we're thinking, boy, that sounds great, but we all know it's impossible. And everybody just kind of says, well, the Sermon on the, on the Mount is an ideal you should shoot for. But nobody really seriously thinks they can do it. Nobody even seriously thinks God expects it. He's just throwing this out to show how impossible righteousness is. No, I don't think so. The weird part is this phrase right here, this section that we're dealing with. As he's gone through, you shouldn't judge. Don't judge, you be not judged. You know the whole uh, plank in somebody's eye and the speck in somebody else's eye and don't cast the pearls before pigs and all that stuff. And he said all this stuff and right before this he said you shouldn't worry and right before this watch how you worship. All this stuff about your personal righteousness and then he pauses and he says, oh, as he looks at people with this looking back at him. Yeah, right, look, looking back at him, and he says, time out. Ask. He'll give it to you. Seek for it. You'll find it. And if you keep knocking, it's going to be open. My question is, ask what? Right in the middle of the sermon, as if a time out, he says, okay, listen, guys, you need to ask. And you're like, what are you talking about? You were on a roll, and now all of a sudden you interfere. You, kind of, you call a time out, and you say, well, here's the bad news. The bad news is, guys, you can't do this. You really can't live the Sermon on the Mount. The stuff I'm talking about, you really can't do. Well, let me rephrase that. You can't do it by yourself. You can't live this life like this by yourself. You've got to have some help. But here's the good news is all you have to do is ask. Ask, seek, knock. A-S-K. All you have to do is ask. But here's the thing. That's not good news to us Americans. We don't want to ask. We want to do it ourselves. We think God's disappointed. He thinks, we think God thinks we should be able to do it on our own and we shouldn't annoy Him by asking Him for help. We think that we should be able to do this by ourselves. We think somehow that this is a sign of weakness if we have to ask for help. You, you, you ask anybody. And you, Becky Mulholland just in recent weeks come back from Boston with his arm. She can't drive. And so she's got to ask people to take her everywhere. And that's a humiliating thing. That's a humbling experience because you've got to ask for help. But here's the thing about your Christian life. You can't live it without asking for help. Not one of you can. But all you have to do, he says, is ask. And that involves prayer. And we go, oh man, prayer is such work. Uh, and yet prayer is for us. It's not for God. God knows that it benefits us. It's the greatest blessing He's given us. And yet we look at this blessing as if it's some kind of chore, as if it's some kind of thing I've got to make myself do when it's all for us and it's all for the strength that we need. But you know, this paragraph is not really about prayer. It tells us three things we need to do. Notice it. Verse 7, ask, and then seek, and then knock. That's all that it tells you to do. The rest of the paragraph, the entire chunk of this teaching, is about what God's going to do. It's as if Jesus says, you know what, you will ask if you know who you're asking from. If you know what God's like, you will be motivated and inspired to ask because you know something. The God we serve is a God who wants to hear from you. 
He wants you to ask Him. We serve a God who wants you to ask from Him. It's not a burden. You go into a business and, it, and the person's not there and it has this little bell there that says, if no one's here, please ring this for service. And you refuse to ring it because you don't want to bother or annoy anybody. You don't want to disrupt them. You don't want to make them mad by ringing the bell. But guys, this business is about serving you in an area of your need. Ring the bell. God says, I want you to know, I'm asking you to live a Christian life that requires my help. And I want to help, but I can't help until you call and you ask. Ring the bell, he says. I want you to ask me. Jesus comes along and says, you know what you need to do with God? You need to ask. You need to seek. You need to knock. God wants you to respond. This is much like any WWE fans in here. Anybody willing to admit you're a WWE fan? I went to a Redbirds game just a couple weeks ago, and it was wrestling night, and Jerry Lawler was there. 70-year-old man in a pair of tights wrestling in a wrestling ring. I've done therapy since then, and I can't get that out of my head. The guy took him and slammed him like he's 70 years old, just had a heart attack not long ago. How does this guy do this? But, you know, it's all real and stuff. So as, as they were doing this, and as they were playing this, there was a tag team match. You know what a tag team match is? Two against two. But only one can wrestle at a time. And the only way that you can call the other one is if you can reach up and you can tag him. And as soon as you tag him, he takes over and the other one gets out of the ring. But the thing is, you've got to tag him. If the guy has you down, is wrestling you out, and he's got you down on the mat, and you can't reach your friend, you're as good as alone and dead. He can't help you because you can't tap his hand. And what God says is, listen, I don't expect you to live this Christian life alone. It requires my help. I've designed it to where you can't do it without me, and I won't do it without you, he says. And so it's a tag team thing. But if you never seek, ask, and knock, if you never tag God's hand, he can't help you, and you are trying it by yourself and that's a recipe for disaster this is a wrestling match of a tag team and the moment you ask and he's longing for you to God responds I remember Michael Cox anybody know Michael Cox very well he's been around the area he's a workaholic good guy but he's, I remember him standing up for a group of people at church and says listen I'm here for you here's my phone number and he gives it out to everybody so well, he's a dumb one for that. That was kind of dumb, right? And he says, just call me anytime. If it's midnight, if it's one, if it's two, if it's three o'clock, it don't matter. I'll come. Guys, I'm, I'll do that too, but I don't want to be number one on your list. I want you to go through five or six first, right? I mean, it's all good and dandy to say I'm here for you, but listen, I, that doesn't mean I, I want to urge you to call me at three, okay? Wait till eight or nine, right? The whole thing about God is this. He is more ready to hear than you are to speak. He is longing for you to ask. God considers being asked by His people a compliment, and He longs for you to do that. Does the fact that we serve a God who longs for us to ask from Him make it more likely that you will? You need to view God as a God who wants to hear from you. It's not a burden for him to listen to your plea, no matter what it is or what time it is. It's not a burden. You're not messing him up. You're not disappointing him. He longs for you to ask. He begs, please, ask, seek, knock. Just ask me. I want you to. But you're also talking to a God who guarantees he will respond. 
Now I want you to look at the text, and I want you to answer these questions. What will God do when you ask? Okay, I want you to look at the text and answer the question. What will ye, He do if you ask, He will... He will yeah, give it to you. If you seek... Okay, you, you all know English and you're looking at the text, right? And if you seek, he'll be found. If you knock, he'll open the door. It's a guaranteed response. Listen, I, I know people who won't buy things without guarantees. I know for a fact you buy a steel, right, weed eater, and you put steel oil stuff in the gas tank, it'll give you a, a two- or three-year guarantee. I also know Echo will give you four. Now, why does that matter? Some people are so involved in this guarantee, but listen to this. Not one time have you ever gone to God that he failed to respond. True or false? Oh, come on. True or false? If you know he's going to respond, he never makes you walk away silent. He never ignores you. He never acts like you weren't there. He doesn't hide his face from you. Not once have you ever gone to him that he didn't respond, and not once will you ever go to him that he doesn't respond. He says, I guarantee a response every time. The problem some people have with this is they listen to Garth Brooks more than they do Jesus. Garth Brooks, I like him. I like, the so I like the story in the song Unanswered Prayers. And you know what this is. He longs to have this one girlfriend in high school who if he just has her, everything in life will go hunky-dory from there on time, right? It's going to go great. Just God give me. If you never ask, I'll never ask for anything again. Just give me this girl. And apparently he doesn't because he goes back to the class reunion 15, 20 years later and he sees this girl and he goes, Whoo, God, glad you didn't give me that answer, right? She's thinking the same thing looking at him. We all do this at our 20th reunion. And he says, thank God for what? Unanswered prayers. Unanswered. The answer was no! He didn't not answer. He told you no. No is a legitimate answer from God, is it not? Yes, it is. Okay, imagine this. Imagine you have a kid, a teenage boy who smarts off to you all the time. For some of you, that's not a hard imagination. So you, you, he's, he smarts off to you one time too many, and you, you ground him for a week. And at near the end of that week, after five full days, he has a friend who invites him over to a birthday party, and he really wants to go. He says, Dad, it's been five days. You've proven the point. Can I go? And you say, no, just like that. He comes back in an hour and says, will you have an answer yet? And you're, you're like, what? Was that not an answer? How is no unanswered prayer? Garth. Garth, God said no, and that was an answer. And I'm going to tell you something, sometimes that's the best answer you can hear. Sometimes that's the most reasonable and the wisest answer you can be given. God always answers your prayer. Every time you come to him, if you say, dear Lord, he enters into the conversation, and you will not walk away without his undivided attention and his response. But you've got to let him respond the way he wants to. Jesus says, ask me, and he says, I want to tell you this. We serve a God who always responds. He won't disrespect or ignore. 
Now, you may walk away with your petition rejected, but you will not walk away not having been heard. Now, are you more likely to speak to God and ask God for things if you know not only will he, does He want to hear from you, but He guarantees a response? God's counting on it. Jesus is counting on it. In the Sermon on the Mount, He says, Guys, this is going to be overwhelming to you. You're going to feel like you can't really live the Christian life. You can't really give God what He asks of you. And you're going to think that it's impossible. But listen, all you have to do is ask. And I want you to keep asking. These words in here slant toward the idea of being persistent. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. So when you're trying to figure out what you're going to give your kids for Christmas, one of the ways you learn it, one of the ways you figure it out is what do they keep repeating from about July all the way through December? What's the thing they keep asking for over and over again? You're going to ask them at various times. You're going to ask them right after they see this commercial for some ludicrous, stupid little toy, and they've just seen that toy, and they thought, oh, that'd be neat. And you ask them, and they'll say that because they just saw the commercial. But you ask them a week later, and they'll forget about that commercial because that wasn't really what they want. That had nothing to do with them. They just saw it a few minutes ago. And it won't stay on their list. If they don't keep repeating it, they don't really want it. Mark it off the list. They keep repeating it over and over. It's something they really want. And then when they sit on Santa's lap, that's when you know. I think God knows when you really, really, really want something because you keep bringing it up. And I hope, from, I hope from out of Valley View members, he knows what you really want from Martha Rampey. I hope he knows what you really want for the Whitleys. Because he hears you say it over and over and over because it is absolutely on your heart. But I also hope that he hears from you your struggle with language. You cannot seem to control your language and the anger that makes that language fly out of your mouth. And you're so overwhelmed with a desire to be obedient to God and to give Him what He deserves that every day you plead with Him, God, these words just seem to keep flying out of my mouth and I don't know what to do about it. And every day you go to Him. And after a while, listen, when He hears that you really have a heart that wants to get rid of that language, He will help you get rid of that language. You can't just toss out little requests every once in a while. Go to him over and over and over and ask, I want this lust out of my heart. I want this worry out of my spirit. I want this, I want my marriage to matter again. And I'm struggling with this and I'm fighting with my heart. Take it to God every day for months. Act like you want it bad. And when you want it bad, God will give it to you. But he wants to know you want it as bad as he does. Not these little flippant prayers of ditto every day. Does he know what you want bad? He'll hear you. And he'll respond. And you serve a God also who will respond in a way that's wise and good. He knows best. He knows better than you do. I don't know if you do this, but our family used to draw names for Christmas about because there were too, fam too many family members to buy for everybody, and so you had a $50 limit or something like that, and we had names. And everybody had names of people they wish would draw their name. And we knew the people who gave lousy gifts. Do you know who that is in your family? They're the ones who give the practical gifts. What do you need? Socks? Underwear? Deodorant? Give me? Okay. What kind of socks do you wear? And you know you open that gift, and you've got the deodorant wrapped in the socks under the T-shirts. And you're like, uh, 
You don't want that guy's name. Yeah, it's helpful, but you can get that stuff yourself anyway. Then you've got the bargain shopper person. Yeah, it shows $50 on it, but actually they got it in July when the special gift sales were on. It cost them five bucks, and it's some Western shirt nobody would be caught dead wearing. And then you've got that one family member who studies each family member. The one they got, they start studying, they call around, and they kind of watch you on, stalk you on Facebook, see what kind of interested, and then they know exactly the right gift to give you. You know who really did their homework? That guy, that's who everybody wants to draw their name. You're not just coming before a father who will just listen and decide by rock, paper, scissors. You are coming before a God who knows you well. He knows you better than you do. And when it's a a competition between what you want and what God knows is best, do you know what He'll give you? Between what you want and what He knows is best? He'll give based on what he knows is best. And sometimes that's annoying to you. But really, in the, in the deep recesses of the spiritual heart, it should be a great joy and delight to know that we end our prayers with this, not my will be done, Lord, but yours be done. And if you pray that and you really mean it, then every prayer's answer is exactly what you wanted because you want it to be out of God's knowledge of you. you there's a song that we sing. The last line of it, it, it goes like this. Let me never, never outlive my love to thee. We sing it every once in a while. I think it's Night with Evan Pinion or something like that. And the last line is, Let me never, never outlive my love to thee. And what we're saying is this, God, don't kill me before I ever give up my faith. Kill me before I ever shame you and and walk away from you. Or maybe you're saying this, God, don't ever give me anything that I ask for that by you giving it to me makes me grow distant from you. There are things that you can ask for that you think you want with all your heart that if God actually gave it to you, it would draw a distance between you and Him. It may seal your fate with Him. Do you still want Him to give it to you? Do you want Him to give you what you want when it might cause you to walk away from Him? Do you? Think about it carefully. Do you trust that God will give you the greater thing rather than the thing that you want What if the thing you want the most will distance yourself from Him? Do you still want Him to give it? What if by praying away a struggle that you're grappling with, that you're asking God to erase the most powerful, fierce times of prayer you'll ever have because that's the only way you survive, and by doing so you draw closer? Do you want Him to get rid of it? Do you really want Him to when it could cost you your salvation? He knows what's best. And he responds out of his knowledge, not your guesses. This happened one time in prayer, and I want you to remember this. I want you to put your thinking caps on. It goes back a long time. David was a great king. God blessed him. But as he died, his desire was for Solomon to take over. And Solomon was offering sacrifices at Gibeon one day. And God comes to him in a vision, and he says six words to him. Ask me, I will give you. The first word God gives Solomon is, ask. Ask me what I can give you. Now, do you remember what Solomon asked for? 
Wisdom. He could have asked for any number of things, but he asked for wisdom, and God was delighted. And the way Solomon phrased it was, God, you were great to my father David, but I'm a young man. I, I don't know how to guide all these people. I need wisdom. And God says, I asked you to ask me. You asked me for the rightest thing, and I'm going to give you an abundant measure. I want you to know, we as Christian people look at the Sermon on the Mount and all the teachings about God, uh, that God wants us to do, all the kind of life we really want to live, the heart of God, all those commands that are for our good, that are not burdensome, but are good for us. And we look at them and we feel overwhelmed. And God, there's no way, there's no way that I can possibly live this out. And then in the middle of the sermon, as if he's looking at us like he did Solomon, he says, ask me. Ask me. God chose this journey that you cannot go on your own and he makes himself available. He only wants you to live the Christian life with his help. But he won't step in until you ask him. So that in the book of James, James actually says to his readers, you know why you don't have? Because you don't ask God. And I wonder sometimes how much vibrancy and strength and grace we miss simply because we do not ask you're feeling overwhelmed like Solomon did, trying to live the kind of life God wants you to, maybe it's time for you to learn to ask. God longs for us to ask. He assures us He'll respond, and His response will always be wise and good. He's the kind of God you want to talk to. So when you're overwhelmed with that task that God has placed before you, don't dismiss or discount the commands of God. Don't consider them impossible ideals that you cannot reach. They're not too good. They're not too difficult to bring about. It just requires you to have God's help. And I think maybe it's what He wants most is to help you. Quit being discouraged. Quit being in this position of throwing up your arms with a yeah, right smirk about the Christian life. Quit allowing the feeling of being overwhelmed to overcome you. It's totally impossible? No. It's possible. All you have to do is ask. Do you need to learn to ask? That starts at the very beginning when a baptism, we're told by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, is an appeal to God for a good conscience. You know what you're doing? You're asking God to clean you at the level of your conscience, your soul. And you don't know how to do that, and so you say, God, how can I do that? And God says to you, confess the name of my son and be immersed in the waters of baptism. And yes, I will clean your soul, but you've got to ask. Baptism is a request, a request of God, and he answers mightily. And that just starts your walk with God. Every day after that is another request by God that seems challenging to you and overwhelming to you, but the moment you ask, He gives. You keep seeking, you'll find. You keep knocking, it'll be opened. If you've never sought that clean conscience, this morning is a great time to do it. And I promise you, you ask Him for it, He'll give it to you. But if you've done that, and for whatever reason, you've tried living the Christian life all by yourself, being a good American Christian, and pull yourself up by the bootstraps, maybe you're finding that it's impossible, and it is, without God's help. If you need to learn how to help ask, we would be glad to demonstrate what an asking from God looks like as you confess your sin.
I would most recommend a response to this sermon to be go home and start asking God for more because He longs to give it to you. If you need to respond this morning, we are available to receive you as we stand and sing to encourage you.